So John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This story is a very interesting story. And if you all, you, you know the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. But I'd like to talk to you about the story here of what happened. John chapter 2 verse 1 says this. On the third day a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And he told them, Now draw out some of it and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it came from, though the servants who drawn the water knew. And all, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. This portion of scripture is very fascinating to me because there are so many levels that are going on here and I'd just like to talk to you about a couple of them. First of all, Jesus' mother and Jesus and his disciples were guests to the wedding. They were invited to the wedding. You know, my nieces are getting married this summer, both of them at the same time. I don't think they like their mother. They're doing it all in one summer. And so they're, they're, they're going to have this wild summer. And we're going to have wedding, camp, wedding. We're going to squeeze Alaska in there somewhere. You know, it's just an amazing summer that's going by. And they have this wedding. And I was, I was up just yesterday. We had the uh, bridal shower. And, and, you know, and I was there to make sure to help carry everything in, to clean up and to set up and to eat whatever leftover chips and salsa they had left. You know, so I was there. And, uh, and I talked to my niece afterwards, and I looked at her, and I said, you excited? She goes, oh, I'm excited. This is great. And I said to her, I said, Danny, I want you to know, and I make this promise to you, that on your wedding day, I will be the most relaxed person there because it is what it is. I've learned that weddings... It is what it is. It's going to happen, right? The kid is going to drop the roses as they come down the aisle. You know, the baby's going to start crying. You know, you're going to have something happen. The, the, the best man's going to be falling asleep while the preacher's saying stuff. You know, it's just, it's going to happen. It is what it is. Weddings are just weddings. It's great, but I'm going to be the most relaxed person there. I promise you that. And because why? I'm a guest. I don't have to do anything. I mean, I have to run the sound. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty good at that. So, hey, I'm, that's no problem. I'm going to be relaxed. I'm going to be, it's going to be great. Why? Because I'm a guest. I don't have to worry about who's going to serve this at the reception. I don't have to worry about who's coming in where. I don't have to get a message together. I don't have to, to, to worry about anything. Why? Because I am a guest. And I'm also the DJ. Yeah, I got to find one of those turntables, you know. <laughs> They'll probably look at, what's a turntable? Let me Google that. Okay. So, anyways... But when you're invited to a wedding and you are a guest, 
You don't have no responsibilities. You are there to simply just show up, eat, and enjoy the party. Matter of fact, when we had our wedding and our reception, people we didn't even invite showed up and ate. So you can just relax. It's fine. You're a guest. You're a guest. Jesus and his mother were invited, but the problem was they ran out of wine. They ran out of the beverage that they were drinking, and now the people that were there were looking and asking for different things. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So the mother of Jesus goes to Jesus and says, hey, they run out of water. They run out of wine. We have no more. This was not his problem. This wasn't even her problem. But now she is making it his thing. And so she comes up to Jesus and she says, they have no more wine. The first thing I want us to know is this. That when you run into a problem, you must seek out the one who has the answers. Mary had no idea what Jesus was going to do. Mary just went to him and said, hey, we don't have no more wine. There's a problem here. We don't have no wine. And Jesus says, why are you involving me? My time isn't come yet. God, my father, has not asked me to do anything yet. So just why are you involving me? And she went to him because she knew there was something special about Jesus. She knew that Jesus was God born here on earth. The angel told her. So she goes to him. If you got problems, the first thing you have to do is seek out the one who can help you. You must seek out the one. How many times when we got problems, we try to handle it ourselves? How many times when we got problems, we try to take it into our own hands and we try to make it work? And, and how many times do we realize that we end up making it worse than it was ever it was at the first place? Seek the one who can help. Seek the one who can do the impossible. So Mary goes and she seeks Jesus out and she says, there's no more wine. And listen to his response. The first thing he says was woman. Jesus wasn't being disrespectful, but Jesus was being honest when he said woman. Matter of fact, the gospel of John does this very, very purposefully. He never mentions Mary's name in the gospel of John. Now, this may be offensive, especially to mothers. <gasps> How dare you not recognize me? You know, my, my wife has given birth to five kids. And if they don't call her mom, she lets them know about it. Matter of fact, one of the greatest, one of the greatest things I always like is when our kids can't spell my wife's name. You know? How do you spell your mom's name? Uh, M-O-M. You know? Because why? We recognize her as mom and we're so proud of mom. But Jesus called her woman. And the Gospel of John never mentions Mary by name. He's not being disrespectful, but he's being honest in the way he addresses her. Why? Because Mary knew why. In the book of Luke, it says this, and I'm just going to read this passage of Scripture. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to the Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This is from the book of Luke. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne to his father David. 
throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. And he, how will this be? Mary asked the angel. I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she is, was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God has ever failed. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May the words be fulfilled. May your words be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary understood something, that I'm the Lord's servant. Mary didn't sign up for the job. Mary didn't ask to be the mother of Jesus. But the angel came to her. Why? Because she was a servant and her heart was right. And Jesus called her woman because he realized and he knows that this was the servant that God chose to use in order for him to come into the world. Now, Jesus did not lose sight of the fact that that was his physical mother, the vessel, the servant that gave birth to him here on earth because at the cross, he did not want to leave her alone. And so he says at the end in John, woman, this is your son. And he's talking to John and he tells John, this is your mother. So Jesus is taking care of his family, his physical family, but he never called her mom. It's important because Mary is simply the Lord's servant. Mary is not the mother of God. This is a very important thing you must understand that Mary is not the mother of God. Some have called her the greatest of all Christians. That she, Here she is, this, this elevated mother who gave birth to the Son of God. Well, she did give birth to the Son of God, but she was a servant. She knew this. Jesus knew this. But Elizabeth did say that Mary was the mother of my Lord. She recognized that she was the mother of my Lord, meaning that she was the mother of Jesus, the one that will rule over me. But she never called her the mother of God. Why am I saying this? Because I think it's important to understand who we are, who we are. She was a servant. She was a woman. She was a human being chosen to carry the Lord. It was the Holy Spirit that made it possible and chose her as a servant. Mary understood this. Jesus understood this. Matter of fact, in Matthew 12, Jesus is talking to the crowd. And the Bible says in verse 12, 26, 46, that while Jesus was still speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus replied to them, who is my mother and my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother and mother. Brother, sister, and mother. Jesus knows that those who do the will of God are family. When you yield your life to Jesus, you become a part of the family. When you yield your life to Jesus, when you let him be Lord, the one who will have authority over you, that's the problem. We don't want Jesus to have authority over us. We like doing things our way. We like being the person who's in control. We like, the one who, we like to be the one who controls the steering wheel because we have destiny. We have fate in our hands. We like to be in control. But when you yield your life to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want you to have full control over my life, we are surrendering to him and recognizing his lordship. And Jesus says, when you do that, your family. And I'll just tell you personally, as I was writing this down this morning, these notes, the Lord just whispered 
into my ear. He says, Pete, when have I ever forgotten about my family? When have I ever turned my back on my family? You see, God loves his family. And when we yield to Jesus, we become family. Jesus said, here, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and mother. Never lose sight that Jesus is watching his family. Never lose sight that Jesus knows who is doing the Father's will, and he sees you as family. So Jesus says woman. So he never called her his mother, the mother of God. John never even mentions her name, and he does that on purpose because the story of the gospel of John is about Jesus, not about the servants. It's about Jesus. And he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus knows that timing is everything. Now, this is hard for us to do because we like to make things happen now. That's why we have microwaves. That's why we have fast food. And, and even though you pay $12 for a burger and fries and they're soggy and cold, you still eat them. Why? Because it's convenient. It's ready to go. You know, we came home yesterday and we didn't have anything prepared, nothing prepared. And so we just had to eat carrot cake and we ate it well. I mean, it was like, hey, that's all we got. You know, so when you're not prepared, you know, we timing is everything. We just throw something in the microwave. Just hurry up, do something quick. Jesus says, listen, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. This is the hardest thing to do is wait for God's timing. The hardest thing to do is to wait for the purpose and the plan that he has for you. Jesus did not want to make it happen, but he waited for the time of the Father. If you do not know your purpose in life, if you do not know the plans that he has for you, the hardest thing for you to do is trust in his timing. But what if I don't know the purpose? What if, what if I just feel lost right now? What do I do? Well, pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, praise be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done today as it is in heaven. Today, today. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but today I want to find out what you want. And let your will be done today. So many times we get caught up in tomorrow and we forget about today. Just, just do what God is asking you to do today. Just, just be close to him and find out what he wants to be done today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. He's already got that planned out. My son called me up and says, Dad, something didn't work out. Something didn't work out. And now I'm going to lose over $1,000 because it didn't work out. I said, listen, son, don't worry about it. Just, just relax. Just, just do what you're supposed to do. Go to work today. God's got everything figured out tomorrow. Just don't worry about it. And he's, okay, Dad, okay. So he goes to work, and you know what the Lord told him? The Lord told him that even today I will give you everything. I'll give it back to you. And so he calls me the next day, and he says, Dad, guess what? I checked my bank account. I was refunded everything. They told me that they weren't going to refund me a thing, but I was refunded everything. I said, son, I told him two things. Number one, always trust in the Lord that he knows what tomorrow brings. And number two, pray for your dad, man, because if he's listening to you, pray for me, you know? <laughs> you got to just trust today that God is going to do what he's going to do today. Now, it's Sunday, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and people accuse me of only working one day a week. And I always say, you know, don't say that. I only work half a day. 
You know, just don't say that. So, but my wife's like, don't say that. I, you know, but, but here's what happens. I'm not going to worry about Monday. Why? Because I'm going to enjoy today. I'm going to enjoy the moment. I can't do anything for about tomorrow until tomorrow comes. Now, I'm not saying you don't plan ahead and you don't be wise and all that. We understand that. But the worries and the troubles, mm-mm. I'm just going to enjoy today. And we're going to finish that carrot cake today. You know, we're going to enjoy today. You can get lost and caught up in tomorrow, and it can drive you crazy when you don't have any hope and you just say, God, I don't know. But I do know this, that if you just choose to follow the directions, to follow his leading, it's going to turn out okay. You know, when, when you follow a recipe, when you're cooking and you follow a recipe, the chef designs it for a certain steps to be followed. But what happens with people today? We don't want to follow a recipe. We don't want to yield to the directions of some guy named Chef Boyardee and telling me what to do. I know what to do. And so we start changing the recipe. We start doing things. And then we get this thing afterwards and it's horrible. And what do we say? This chef doesn't know how to cook. You know? So the first time I ever made a turkey for my family, it was beautiful. It was juicy. I know I can't praise myself. But they're not up here to praise me. So I'll just tell you what they would say. So they, they, it was golden brown. I mean, it looked like a pitcher. It was perfect. Juices were flowing. You cut in it. It was shimmering. Oh, man, it was just delicious. And my wife said to me, she says, Pete, this is the best turkey I ever ate. You are making turkey every year. How did you do it? I said, I followed the directions. <laughs> it said pat it dry put a little oil stick in the oven and let it go and i did how many know you just follow the directions it's going to come out pretty good but we don't want to do that in life we want to be in control we want to take things in our hands and make it out the way we do it but you must yield your life to jesus you must yield it to jesus you must trust that your father has a plan he knows how the recipe is supposed to turn out trust the chef he knows what he's doing you know, when I was struggling and I was going through this time when, when I didn't know what was going on in my life and I couldn't figure out why God seemed like he abandoned me, I was confused. And God was asking me to do things that were just a little ridiculous at the time. And, and I was like, God, I got to take care of my family. I got I to take care of the church. And, and you want me to do this? You want me to do that? I just, I don't understand. And I was confused. And I was actually going through a time where I felt discouraged and I felt hopeless and I felt like God was just laughing at me as I'm trying to do what he asked I just honestly just the way I felt like God was just watching me fail just so that he can get his kicks and say look it see what happens when you don't you know do this or you don't do that and I felt like God was punishing me I'm just being honest that's just the way I felt and I was having a hard time and I remember at those moments and I'm just God I was just so discouraged I said, God, why are you doing this? And this is what he told me in prayer. He says, everything is purposeful and planned. Everything is purposeful and planned. I don't know why you go through the things you do or you're in, you're in the situations that you are. Sometimes it's bad choices. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes just things happen. But God is the one who is able to take those stories and make it into a beautiful thing. But you got to yield your life to him. you got to be able to say, okay, Father, I trust you. And I'm going to wait for your timing to make it come to pass. We just want to fix it now. 
We just want to fix it now. And back then when I was going through those moments of discouragement and I, I lost hope, I wouldn't trade it for the world now. Why? Because after I seen what God has done and after the story kind of came to, a, uh, it revealed itself and I, I finally understood why God was being purposeful and he was, had, had me do all those things. Now I look back and say, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You see, you have to wait for God's timing to unfold. So don't get discouraged in your moment. It's hard, I know that. It hurts, I know that. But you got to keep believing that God is good, that he loves you, that his love never fails you. You know, and there's nothing we can do to make him love us more. Just because I have a title in front of my name doesn't mean that God loves me more. He loves you just the same. Matter of fact, Jesus says, I wish that all of you had the relationship I have with my Father and that they would know you the way I know you. Jesus wants us to know the Father the way he knows him. And the Father is love. The Father is good. The Father is kind. The Father is disciplined. Yes. He has instructions. Yes. But it's always for the good of the kids. Kids need a good Father and we have one. He loves you so much. You must, be, you must wait for God's timing. He'll make it work. Trust the plan. Better yet, trust the one who knows the plan. Trust the one who knows the plan. So Jesus is there at this, wem- this wedding, and, he, and, and Mary comes to him, and he says, woman, you know, he recognizes that, hey, she was the servant. She's not the mother of God. She was just the servant. And he says, my time is not yet. So you must trust the timing. But this is where I want us to focus our attention here. This is what Mary says. Because, you know, like any good mother, she completely ignores what he says, right? (laughs) You know, when your mother wants something, she's going to keep saying it until it gets done. You know, these clothes aren't going to fold themselves. Uh, You know, who's going to do this? Now, my wife doesn't talk like that to her kids, but, you know, that's the way all my, and my mom doesn't, if you're watching, mom, I'm sorry, you're perfect. But the thing is, is that mothers have that way of ignoring what you are really wanting and giving you what, you know, and continuing to speak and And this is what she said, do whatever he tells you. So she comes to him, Jesus, we we got no more wine. They're all out of wine. Do something. Hey, woman, my time hasn't come yet. Why are you trying to get me involved yet? My time hasn't come yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she looks at the service, do whatever he tells you. This is probably the hardest thing for us to do whatever he tells you. For several reasons, this is why it's hard in my opinion. First, how do you know what Jesus is actually going to say? What is it going to say? How do you know it's actually Jesus saying it? You know, servant, their servants were there. They could hear Jesus. So we knew that the servants, if she tells, she tells the servants, hey, do whatever he says. Well, the servants know what he's going to say because they're there. They can hear him. Well, what about us? We are separated by thousands of years and thousands of miles from the place where Jesus spoke these words. How do we know it's Jesus speaking to us? How do we know that it's his voice that speaks to us, that asks us to do things that are crazy or asks us to do things that don't make sense? How do we know it's Jesus? I think of the the prophet Ezekiel, just even knowing how do we know God's voice? Ezekiel was this prophet. He was this man that was asked by God to go and bake bread and use human poop and bake it. Uh, what? How do you know it's God? How do you know God would ask you to do things like that? How do you know his voice? 
How do you know Jesus? Well, I want to give you a couple simple principles on how to hear his voice. Because sometimes we don't like to admit that it's hard in hearing his voice. But sometimes it is confusing. Sometimes we just we question, maybe it was me, maybe it was the pepperoni pizza I ate. But how do we know how to hear God's voice? First of all, just a few principles. First of all, you must understand he wants to speak to you. That God who created the heavens and the earth, God who established all of this realm, God who has made every single thing that is here by his very spoken word wants to speak to you. You must get that through your head first. That God is not some God that is distant. God is not some God that just went and threw some dice and said, okay, there you go, people. You're on your own. No, he is a God who highly wants to be involved with his creation. He wants to speak to you. That is the first thing you must overcome because sometimes we think God is so mad at us or God has rejected us or God doesn't love us or God has seen all the things that I've done and he's ashamed of me and he doesn't want to speak to me. You must get that out of your head. Your father in heaven is so loving that he sent his son Jesus Christ on the chance that you might give your life to him and if you would just take that chance he will forgive you of all your sins and he will have that relationship with you he wants to speak to you you must understand that he's not running from you he's not hiding from you he's waiting for you and it's so important to know this because when we approach God or when we're trying to hear God or when we're in those desperate moments saying, God, where are you? You must understand he's been waiting all along. He loves you to the point that he is willing to do everything he can to offer forgiveness to you so that there's nothing in between you and him. And that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is simply removing the things that keep us separated because we sin, we make mistakes, because we do things that aren't right, we must ask for forgiveness. And when we are forgiven, we are completely forgiven. And now we have a relationship with Jesus that is unrestricted. And, when, and here's another thing, too, about forgiveness. You better believe that you're forgiven. You better believe that you're forgiven. Because Jesus said that he will forgive us of all of our sins that he does not hold anything against us. The Bible tells us that he cast it as far as the east is from the west. You must understand that you were forgiven. I remember as a young preacher, the Saturday before over in Spring Valley, God asked me to do something. I didn't do it. I disobeyed. And I felt horrible that Sunday morning. I felt so guilty because I knew what God asked me to do, but I didn't do it. And I felt guilty. And that Sunday morning, I'm preaching. And you know what I'm preaching on? Guilt. And I'm sitting there, and I just feel like the, the lowest thing ever. And so before I get up there, I said, Father, forgive me. I should have obeyed you. I'm sorry. And I get up there, and I'm just so ashamed, so hurt that I let my father down. I just put my head down, and I basically just read my sermon. I get off the stage. I remember this elderly woman coming up to me, an elderly woman just crying, saying, Pastor, that was the greatest sermon I ever heard, and I needed to hear that. I said, thank you, and I went back to my office. I said, God, why would you do that? Why would you anoint me when I failed you? He goes, because I forgave you. Because I forgave you. 
the only person that's holding on to guilt is you, Pete. You need to let it go. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not justifying sin. Don't think that you can just keep going out and sin and ask for forgiveness is okay because that's not going to turn out too good. But when you truly love the Lord, you say, God, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. He forgives you. And here's the thing I don't understand. Even if you do sin and then purposely and then ask for forgiveness, he still will forgive you because his love never fails. He's that loving. But I believe that when you experience his grace and his love and his mercy and you realize the depth of his love, you don't want to keep sinning and hurting him. You just want to keep on pursuing him. So you must understand he wants to speak to you. That's the first thing. He's not angry. He doesn't abandon you. He wants a relationship. The second thing is this. Lean into his voice. Lean into his voice. You know, the older I get, people say that, you know, you start losing your hearing the older you get. I don't think that's true. I just think people just start speaking softer. That's all. Because I have to lean a lot of times. What was that? You know, when I ask your name, what was that? I have to lean into to hear. And the same thing is true when it comes to hearing God's voice. When you think you hear something, lean into him. Say, what was that? Now, how do you lean into God? How do you lean into his voice? Well, it starts with his word. Because in the Bible, the Bible is God's voice. It's his word spoken to us. You will never understand who God is unless you read the Bible. And I mean that. You can, you can go through life and say, oh, yeah, I know God, I know God. But if you're not in the word of God, you don't know God. Because God says, if you want to get to know me, here you go. This is my word. That all scripture is God-breathed. It is living. It is active. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, so that we don't lack a thing. God's word is his voice. There's many times I don't hear God audibly. But every day I read my Bible and I hear his voice. Every day I read my Bible. So you must lean into, get into scripture. If you really want to change your life, get into scripture. When I was a young Christian and I finally... You know, I was, I was called at the age of 12. I didn't want to be a pastor, so I ran from God. I fell in love with everything else except pastoring, and I just kept running and running and running. Finally, one day at a church service in Indiana, the preacher just said a few words. Next thing you know, I'm at the altar. I say, Jesus, I give you my life. And you know what happened after that? I failed. And then I came back, and then I failed, and I came back. And I kept going back and forth. I was at the altar more than they had church service. I'm a I was just always at the altar. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And my whole Christian life was like this. And then someone challenged me to read the word. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, I started to hear his voice. I started to hear his voice. And his voice began to fill my thoughts, began to fill my mind. And those things, those habits that I was doing, all of a sudden began to fade. Why? Because the purity of God's word was just beginning to wash me. I was listening to him speak. I was letting him cleanse me of all the garbage that was inside of me. And then all of a sudden you realize that the word of God fills you and your life begins to just take off in pursuing of him. You must hear his voice through his word. You'll never know God. So if you struggle with sin or things that you just keep going, I guarantee you the word of God is probably an issue in your life. Maybe you're not reading it too much. Maybe you're not reading enough. Maybe you're not reading more than what you should. Or maybe you've just been ignoring it for a while. Just get into his word. Now listen, I'm not going to condemn anyone for missing their day of devotions. I do that too sometimes because life happens. We get busy. All of a sudden, we don't have time to read the Bible, but get back to it. Get back to the God's word. Just get into his word. So if you really want to hear his voice, 
Lean into his voice. Lean into his word. Third thing, make time to listen. Make time to listen. Every one of us gets so caught up sometimes in giving God our list that we don't even listen. You ever been around people that just talk? And it's like you try to interject. It's like trying to, it's like, you remember that game Frogger? Whoop, boop, boop. And then that semi-truck comes and pow, you know? There's just times where you're just like, especially on the phone. You know, it's like, you know, you try to, I, sometimes I put it on mute and I say, Lord, just give me an opportunity to speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Sometimes we pray that way. God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. God, do this, God, do that, God, do this. Just make time to listen. Make time in your prayer time. Just do it as, an, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a goal. Just say, okay, God, just two minutes. Two minutes. I just want to hear you. I just want to hear you. Take time to listen. And I would suggest this. You don't always need music playing because sometimes with music, it stimulates thoughts that are from the author or things we remember or things we like about the song. And I, I, I pray with music, but a lot of times I pray in silence. And I think we're afraid of silence. You know, maybe it's just my, my, my thoughts of it, but sometimes in silence we're afraid that God's going to show up and tell us everything we've done wrong. But if we just occupy with sound and music, we won't have to hear those things. Maybe we are doing things wrong, and the Holy Spirit wants to say, hey, you need to get rid of this. You need to stop this. But let silence be something that's beautiful, that you hear God's voice. So I would suggest sometimes just enjoy the beauty of silence. Also, meditate on His Word. If you're reading Scripture and there's a verse that just pops out at you, just in silence, just think about that verse. Like the verse where, where, you know, God is able to all things even more than we can ask or imagine. I remember just meditating on that verse. And it wasn't in silence. It was actually on an exercise bike. And it was more like, God, <laughs> you know, and I'm trying my best. But I just kept thinking about that verse over and over again. And finally, you know, because everyone gets caught up, you know, in the, everything you can ask or imagine. Wow, God can do the impossible. Great. But what really blew me away was this. God is able period. And I just kept thinking about that. God is able. Meditate on the verse. Meditate. So make time to listen. Think about it. Meditate. And then wait. Wait. Don't be so quick to run out. Don't be so quick to abandon your time. I know that we got schedules and we, you know, we got to get going, but just wait. Wait on the Lord. Remember, he wants to speak to you. Just wait. Another thing is write it down. Write what you hear. When God speaks to you, you should remember it. Write what you hear. Because sometimes it may not make sense that moment, but it will one day. Just keep writing down. And another suggestion, don't worry about making mistakes. So don't worry if you make mistakes because God's not going to tell you to do something you shouldn't do. God isn't going to tell you something that you shouldn't do, but if you don't know God's word, then what would you know what you're supposed to do? But you don't worry about making mistakes. Don't worry about it because I'd rather have you make mistakes trying than not. But I guarantee you this, that if you understand that he wants to speak to you, you, want, you just continue to lean into his word and you take time to listen, God is going to speak to you. Jesus promised that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Let me bring this to a close this morning. So you have this story where Jesus is this invited guest. And he's there and his mother brings him this request. Jesus knows that it's not his time yet, but he still responds. And he tells the servants to go and to fill up these jars to the brim, to draw it and take it to the master. Jesus tells them to do it. And the servants go and they draw the water. They take it to the wedding coordinator. You know, the one that has been divinely appointed to rule and reign over the day. You know, the one that has all that power trip, the wedding coordinator. So the, the servants take it to the wedding coordinator and gives it to him. He says, this is the best. Why did you say this to last? This is the best. I want us just to think about that for a moment because a couple of things have happened. Number one, water was turned into wine. This is not possible physically. We just kind of jump over that. But Jesus took something that was organic and natural and made it into something that was beautiful. And I want you just to understand that Jesus does not need your resources. He doesn't need your techniques. He doesn't need your skills. He doesn't need your talents. He just needs you to be obedient. These servants, all they did was did what Jesus asked them to do. And they took water and they filled up these jars that were used for washing when the guests would come. And they drew from this water, put it in a pitcher, and gave it to the coordinator. And all of a sudden, it was a miracle. And I want you to know that Jesus does not need any of your resources. He just needs you to be obedient. Jesus doesn't need you to go and to plant a field and to grow the grapes and to crush them and to let them ferment and to take time and let them sit for a year in order to have wine. All he needs is your obedience. Jesus doesn't need anyone else. He just needs you. And what happened? The Bible says at the very end why he did this. Because I don't believe Jesus turned water into wine for his mother. I don't believe Jesus turned water in his wine to impress people because no one knew what was happening or who did it. I believe this. Jesus turned water into wine because according to the book of John, he said that his disciples believed him. Jesus is willing to do a miracle just so you would believe him. Just so that you would know he's worth following. You can, you can believe any God you want. You can believe any belief you want, any faith you want, whatever. But you can never convince me that my God is not real and that Jesus is not real because I know he is. Because he has done miracle after miracle after miracle. And every time, all I can say is I believe you, God. Why do you think I told my son, don't worry about that $1,000. Don't worry about that. God's got a plan. It wasn't because I knew what was going to happen. It wasn't because I was going to give it to him. It was because I know that God, who was able to take water and make it do something that it was not designed to do on its own and turn it into something beautiful, God can take your situation, your mistakes, your past, your failures. He can take all those things, and in a moment, if you're just willing to obey, if you're willing to yield your life to him, he will change it into something beautiful. He will change it. All he needs is you to make him Lord. All he needs is you to make him the Lord of your life.